Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a close look at what's going to be moving markets or at least catching your attention over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. In no particular order, that means this week we'll be asking whether Britain really does have an industrial strategy. We'll take a seasonal look at prospects for retailers and governments are going to crush it one day. We'll find out very shortly what's going to be crushed. I'm joined in the studio by Robert Lee, The Times industrial editor, Deirdre Hipwell, our retail editor. And on the line from New York, we have James Dean, US business editor of The Times. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. And James, let's start with you today. That crush quote came from uh, JP Morgan's chief executive, Jamie Dimon. He was talking on CNBC just a few weeks ago at the Institute of International Finance. And the subject was, well, he can speak for himself. I could care less what Bitcoin trades for, how it trades, why it trades, who trades it. If you're stupid enough to buy it, you'll pay the price for it one day. James over there in New York, is Jamie Dimon right about the whole process? Bitcoin is going to come tumbling down and people are going to lose money. Well, I think he certainly echoes the kind of consensus view over here and generally across the world. Uh, from kind of senior bankers. They don't think Bitcoin is something they want to invest in. So they're quite happy to tell everyone that it's a bad idea. I think Jamie Dimon's been perhaps more forceful than most about it. He's called it a fraud, said it's going to all come crashing down. He says that the governments are going to be able to step in and regulate all of it. Um, as to whether that happens, we don't know. I mean, we don't even know what the price of Bitcoin is going to be from, you know, one hour to the next. I mean, we've seen it in the last week. It's crossed $11,000, then rapidly plunged back down to $9,000 and then bounced back up again and yo-yoed ever since. So it's, it's really difficult to know what's going on with the price, let alone the actual uh, what's going to happen to the digital, digital currency as a whole. James, isn't, you know, Jamie Dimon and the others, I mean, they're all just massively conflicted because they just haven't figured out a way of making any money out of it because they're not actually trading it and there's no central authority. So that could be part of it. And, you know, you would argue that people who were buying Bitcoin way back when, before anyone knew what it was, I mean, they're sitting on a huge increase in the value. And if, you know, there are ways now you can actually turn that into currency through the exchanges, aren't there? 
absolutely. I mean, it's it's been it's been very much tradable for a good few years now. There are some growing tech startups that have, you know, created their own exchanges for it, their own trading platforms, and they've become quite successful as the the price has gone up. So, you know, you might argue that the bankers are just annoyed that they missed out on the boom, although they would tell you that hindsight is a wonderful thing. But the thing is with Bitcoin is that the main people who seem to be benefiting from the price rise are small private investors who maybe just took a punt on it, you know, a year, two years ago, you know, put a put a little bit of money in it. And, you know, this happened all around the world because it's not particularly hard to buy a, a currency that exists pretty much, you know, on the internet. So loads of private investors have gone in putting little amounts. So, you know, in theory, unless someone's put all of their eggs into this basket, nobody's going to lose out massively. And some of them have benefited from the price rise over the last couple of years. There's still a legitimacy issue with it. I mean, nobody really knows what's going to happen to it. But for hundreds of years now, currencies have been based on nothing but promises from the government. So, you know, they're not necessarily based on a physical thing such as gold. So nobody knows where it's going to go. But yes, a lot of people have actually made quite a lot of money out of it so far, if they've sold, that is. For sure. And one would think that the most damage that's ever been done in the course of history to the financial systems has been caused by the likes of the bankers, but um, particularly in the most recent financial crisis. But I was just wondering how overblown or not you think the whole idea of Bitcoin being used you know, for criminal elements, because you know, I would have thought traditional fiat has had its own issues with money laundering and crime. And I just wonder if that is the case or not, really, in your opinion. I think it's massively overblown. I mean, if you look at what Bitcoin's actually been used for over the last year, it's mainly been used for trading or for, you know, speculation, for people putting in a few, you know, real pounds or real dollars into Bitcoin and seeing if they can get on the back of this ride upwards. In terms of the actual use of it as money for transactions, you might say real world world transactions, yeah, it, it got a kind of criminal taint when it was associated with dark web markets, you know, these markets that sell drugs and guns and everything in between. But in terms of the actual use of it for those kind of nefarious purposes, it was actually a tiny fraction of what it's been used for. Because as I say, it's mainly been used as a, you know, for private investors to kind of have a, have a punt on it. Uh, James, I'm just really interested. I, I'm guessing you're one of the winners because presumably in your contract you're actually paid in bitcoins. But the um, well, uh, you, you you gave the list of uh, uh, winners in this. Uh, who, uh, this isn't a nil sum game. Who are the losers when the price of bitcoin goes up? That's a, that's a very good point. The arguments that a lot of the bankers have are that this is a Ponzi scheme, so it will only go up and up as much as people put money in at the bottom. So perhaps there aren't lots of losers yet because the price has gone up and up. There are some people that have tried to short Bitcoin, but the actual process of being able to short Bitcoin, as in short sell it and bet on a price drop, is actually very difficult. Um, Though that kind of ability to to short sell is only really coming in slowly now, where some kind of real world exchanges are about to offer the ability to short Bitcoin. So it's been difficult to do it. So at the moment, it's difficult to say who has lost out because the price has been driven up and up and up and seems to keep on going up. The main worry is when or if it all comes crashing down, how many people have put in their life savings into it or, or you know, how many companies have invested heavily into it. Obviously, if it comes crashing down all the way to nothing, there are a certain amount of businesses that have been set up, specifically Bitcoin businesses, that are going to be completely wiped out. And as I say, the private investors who took a punt there 
a lot of them are going to see, you know, potentially large losses. Haven't there already been a few boom and bust cycles in Bitcoin, but yet even after a bust, every successive next cycle, the the peak is higher than before. So we are kind of gradually, we're, we're always moving upwards. So I guess the question is, should we be buying Bitcoin now if we can get our hands on it? Or should we wait for the bust and then hope at the next boom, it'll be at 12,000? I think there has been uh, a couple of people have done analysis on the price crashes and there seems to be a strange sort of regularity with the price crashes. It seems to plunge about, I don't know, anywhere between a fifth and a third every month or so. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily base an investment decision on that alone. But as I say, you know, the price has kept on going up. The main problem is you know, what, how is it, is, it, is it even possible to tell what the peak is? I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to value what Bitcoin is worth. All of the top bankers will tell you that it's, you know, as I say, a Ponzi scheme that's been inflated way past its actual value. If you actually look at what underpins it, it's just computer code. So you could argue that it's worth nothing. It's just worth the kind of the code on, upon which it's based. So it's very, very difficult to value it. But I think some people are betting on it speculatively, not necessarily just to follow a price rise, but they may be waiting for the day that it becomes an accepted and uh, a kind of legitimate form of money transfer and people actually start using it to pay for things. And so that, it, you know, the price will be inflated up to the point that it becomes a useful money system. So that's another way of looking at it. But I'm, I'm not going to offer any investment advice as to whether you should or shouldn't buy it because there are too many unknowns. I mean, if you're trying to, you know, trying to run after a bull market, I think most investment advisors would tell you that that in itself is not a good reason to uh, to buy into it. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll move on gently there. And as James said, no investment advice intended. You wouldn't follow it anyway, I don't think. Bob, let's move on to industrial strategy. I mean, Theresa May and uh, Greg Clark, business secretary, had set out a, a comprehensive industrial strategy paper, launched, I'm afraid to say, on the same day that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got engaged. So it was somewhat overshadowed, I think. But You've looked at it. One of the things that struck me or the points that's been raised is that it actually does seem from a conservative government that it is saying the state has a steering and coordinating role in economic activity. Is is that a change? And if so, how is it going to manifest itself? Well, I think you're right, Robert. It was wrongly overshadowed. This is a very important document, long awaited. And um, but uh, I, I think you, Sorry, you could, were you talking about the engagement, the engagement. Though, there, of course, yeah, I yeah, thank yeah. goodness for that. I thought you were talking industrial strategy. Um, I think that's possibly an overstatement to say that uh, this, this government wants to get involved in um, in meddling. The problem with this industrial strategy is that uh, there was an expectations gap. That there was some idea that the government can actually do something. Um, to, to, to properly understand it, we need to go back to why we set up this industrial strategy. It happened just after we'd um, decided to uh, exit the uh, European Union. Uh, the Prime Minister needed a big idea. One of her big ideas was industrial strategy. And then they had to start trying to work out what that might be. 16 months, 16 months later, we're, we're kind of nowhere near that. Because essentially, if you ask business what they want, Business wants the status quo. They want freedom of movement of people. They want the single market. Uh, they want no customs, no tariffs. Um, so the situation is, is you can have as much of an industrial strategy as you want, but actually unless you solve the, the Brexit conundrum first, none of this really matters. Now, I think your point about government getting involved, um, um, industrial strategies have failed in the past because uh, it's all about, been about picking winners, um, uh, trying to save British Leyland, etc. Um, uh, you, you can't avoid picking winners. So in this uh, 
um, in the industrial strategy, we've got some sector deals. So they're supporting the life sciences industry. Well, uh, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's uh, it's thriving. It's essentially why all the house prices in Cambridge have gone mad because that's the life sciences hub. It's about supporting automotive, and that's kind of interesting because the automotive industry needs to actually reshore a lot of a lot more of its supply chain. Specifically, it didn't actually say it was going to support the aerospace industry, which the aerospace industry is a little upset about. Their key thing is that a lot of their supply chain is in the UK. We do aerospace quite well in this country. Their worry is that Brexit means that that all goes. And so they're looking for support for the government to actually keep that kind of business in the UK. And there was nothing in that industrial strategy which suggests that it might. Well, this is perhaps a naive question that involves Deirdre as well. We talked about all the life sciences, the construction, but Deirdre, the retail sector is so important. Don't you feel that they should have um, a retail strategy paper, just as Bob's talking about an industrial strategy paper, that we're overlooking one of the key employers? Well, the retail industry would certainly argue that's the case. I mean, it's to Bob's point, you know, a lot of um, industries came out afterwards and said, well, why don't we get a sector deal? And um, there's two industries that are often kind of banging on about how important they are and food and drink is one and retail is the other one and food and drink is in fact the largest manufacturing industry in Britain which they will tell you about if you meet the Food and Drink Federation every time but for good reason because it does employ a lot of people. I think when it comes down to it the government has to kind of pick I think growth areas which they think are not only just going to create jobs but also going to contribute towards GDP and I think they have to pick the sectors that they think that they can have the most impact in and I would say life sciences for example Bob's point it's correct why wouldn't you have invested in that particularly at a point when we've already got you know big European organizations that have a big impact in the sector like the European Medicines Agency and that they are already relocating to Europe in the wake of the Brexit vote so I think it's important that one of our key industries there is supported but as for retail retail I think is a sector at the moment that feels that government policy is not supporting it in any way and in fact is actively hindering it um, if you look at the challenges they're facing with wage inflation because of the national living wage. Business rates is a huge bugbear. I mean, just looking at a retailer, everyone would know, Fortnum and Mason, um, their business rates bill for that store has gone up by half a million. And that's a lot for any retailer, even the grocer to the queen to have to absorb. But I, I just think the government can't do everything at the moment. And I think they just have to pick their horses. And that's the key thing. The government uh, can't do everything, but actually it can't do much at all. It doesn't have any money. There's, no, there's never going to be any money being chucked at this. It's, it's about a strategy about supporting stuff. There's some interesting points coming out of this. Food and drink is a huge, huge industry in this country, which we do very well. I mean, Scotch whiskey, etc., sold around the world. Um, the bizarreness of government is that uh, the business department turns around and says, actually, you know what? Food and drink is actually, it's in DEFRA, it's in the environment department. So you've got that complete sort of unpicking of um, uh, of this so-called joined-up government. And also in retail, there's uh, it's not just about actually sort of um, people working in stores. It's actually about reshoring the textiles industry, something this country did brilliantly in the past. It then became a cost thing. But there are, there's, there, 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 there's a textile industry in this country, but unless it actually gets the right environment, and business rates is one of those, Points. Let's get the right environment. You're never going to achieve that reshoring and let it thrive again. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. James, over there in New York, if I could bring you in here. I mean, hasn't President Trump trying to do something of what we've been talking about, in other words, the state intervention, the tax cuts, and in particular spending on the infrastructure. And he's found it just as difficult as the British government over here to actually get things moving, hasn't he? Yes, he's found it hard to get things moving because he's had problems getting various legislation through Congress, starting off with his attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare, which failed, which then held up the tax cuts, which are now in Congress. And it's looking like they may well go through this year. There's a few votes scheduled in the next days, but we'll we'll have to wait and see on that because there's a few Republican senators who are still not particularly happy about what's in the legislation. But that's the side. He can only really get started on his kind of broader plans once the tax cuts have gone through. Then he can start talking about infrastructure and those sorts of projects. But um, as is the case most of the time with the president and with the White House, they sketch out very, very broad plans or very, very kind of broad aims without really going into much detail about how they're going to go about achieving those aims. So that's the kind of stage we're at now. We'd expect a bit more fleshing out if the tax cuts go through. But I think until then, it's, it's safe to say there isn't really much of a strategy to kind of, uh, to kind of look to at the moment. OK, well, we'll keep a look out for those reports. And finally, Deirdre Hitwell, our retail editor. And I have to say from previous podcasts, Deirdre, not a lover of the very expensive and lovingly crafted Christmas TV ads. But uh, anyway, let's have a bit of fun. And here's your starter for one. Possible. That was the as the Christmas ad, and I trawled through a lot of them to find a suitable one That's for not you. Led Zeppelin, is it? I didn't you say it was Led Zeppelin. To be Led Zeppelin. No, I didn't say it was Led Zeppelin, Bob. I wasn't about to expose my complete ignorance. It's the as the Christmas ad. Thank you very much indeed. Goodness me, try and catch me out. Oh, thank God that wasn't for a million quid. Anyway, Talking on the, on the serious side, if we, if we could for a moment, Deirdre, a lot of money spent on these, these ads, but does it feed through to the bottom line, especially when margins are squeezed so tight? I don't know. As you've already highlighted, uh, I'm bar humbug when it comes to Christmas ads. I think um, I think the whole thing gets hyped. I think uh, the way they get covered as if it's a news story. And I think we just give a lot of free PR to these companies. But that's just me talking as a journalist. <laughs> In terms of... As a broadcaster, I'm saying thank the Lord for them. <laughs> I'm looking forward to your Boxing Day party. <laughs> Happiness and light. I kind, of had, I kind of had problems with Black Friday too, so I've, I've decided the only bit of Christmas I like is actually the food and the drink. But anyway, um, seriously though, 
I think whereas um, if you look at uh, Black Friday, which has just been a lot of British retailers this year didn't even really engage in it. So that was an, an import from America, which I think has started to fall in prominence in the last few years just because it's been overhyped. Whereas I think the Christmas ad has become a very important part of the Christmas calendar for um, retailers. And I think consumers uh, demand it now, whether it's John Lewis. I mean, even, even Heathrow Airport has done an advert. Whether or not they need to do one, that's another question. But I think... And it is truly appalling, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's very stuffy, although a lot of people like it. Um, <laughs> so, so, so like a grumpy old man there shaking yeah. his head. Oh, it's absolutely appalling, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think with the adverts, if you look at the wider situation, everyone is competing for a share of a consumer's wallet. And that wallet, as we know, is getting a bit harder to prize open and consumer sentiment is very uncertain. We've got Brexit, we've got interest rates going up, house price growth is softening, or so it seems to be. And I just think there's a lot of macro headwinds, to use that overused term, that are causing people to be a lot more cautious going into Christmas. So I think retailers have to put their best foot forward. And I think Christmas ads are part of that. I think what will actually be more useful for the retailers going into Christmas now is this cold spell of weather that we've had. I think it gets the mood going. You know, we had a few flakes of snow earlier and I think that will definitely get people thinking about, you know, I've got to get, you know, my coats or I've got to start ordering my my Christmas fare. So I think that will help too. But yes, the Christmas ad is here to say and there's nothing we can do about it. Bomb. And it was interesting earlier this week that the faintest bit of good news for the retail industry gets the shares going north on the stock market. I mean, uh, there was some... Uh, British Retail Consortium data, which suggests that prices are still falling, but they're a bit less squeezed than uh, than they haven't been uh, recently in uh, in non-food. And you see prices of Next and um, Kingfisher, which is the B and Q group, um, going up. And on this on the on the faintest of good news. I mean, um, but. Uh, uh, everything's going the wrong way. I mean, uh, did was given a whole list of things. I mean, uh, the labour market's not very good for them because the minimum wage impacts so much on their on their profit margins. Um, uh, but I'm slightly more Christmassy, I think, than Deirdre. About some of the adverts aren't that bad. No, no, some of them I enjoyed, but I just, you know, I think it just gets a bit it gets a bit overhyped, and I think a lot of them they're just blatant attempts to try and tug on your heartstrings, and they're often quite sentimental. Uh, before I move on, Bob, I will attribute that. It was Fleetwood Mac, by the way. Oh, but yeah. There we are. Oh, I've got the old boy at last. James, over there in New York, you're full of Christmas cheer, or more importantly, our consumers and, and, and market traders. I mean, they keep on hitting record highs, your markets over there. I, don't know, I think everyone's still on a bit of a, a Thanksgiving hangover. I mean, a lot of people see the Thanksgiving holiday here as actually more important uh, than Christmas. So hence all of the kind of retail Black Friday, Cyber Monday onslaught around the holidays. It's all still looking good over here. We're uh, still looking at continual uh, Dow records going into Christmas. Uh, as President Trump likes to remind us, it's all looking pretty rosy over here. You know, like Bitcoin, I think it's got the, to the point now where everyone's waiting for for a big crash. So maybe maybe in the new year rather than spoil everyone's Christmas, but we'll have to see. James, what is the reaction in the US to the spat that, um, if that's the right word, that Donald Trump has had with Theresa May, which is really quite extraordinary? And of course, the spat he's had with poor old Theresa and Bogna Regis too. <laughs> Uh, I think the reaction over here is, and I, I don't like to say this and sound very unpatriotic about everything, but uh, no one really cares what's going on in Britain, to be completely honest. Uh, it's the same when it comes to, uh, you know, signing this 
much-vaunted trade deal with the US and the UK, um, yeah, that's kind of very much on the back burner. Everyone's just quite happy that the markets are, are flying over here at the moment, and uh, and I, I think that's kind of <laughs> I think that's become more of a more of an obsession with us in the UK than it is to Americans over here. But also, I mean, to, to be completely fair. I think every time the president does something untoward now, it's kind of becoming a bit like water off a duck's back. I think everyone is a bit more insulated to some of his Twitter rampages. So it's not having quite quite the effect as it did maybe at the start of his presidency. But um, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's slightly worrying nonetheless. So there is a, no special relationship then? Officially, <laughs> I think I think I think I think there's no special relationship. I think you've had even Vince Cable say in, uh, in, in the last few hours that it's time for, for time for Theresa May to give up on Brexit and give up on the US, given Donald Trump's you know given his Britain first tweet. But uh, I, I don't think it's going to bother him that much, to be completely honest. That's because Paris is in Texas. Anyway, thank you all very much. Let's leave it there for now on a happy note. Uh, but do keep up to date with all the latest financial news. And in the coming days, we're going to have updates from Stagecoach, Mulberry and Easy Hotel. That's among others. There's all those results and the other news and analysis online on your phones, tablets and in the paper. If you'd like to become a subscriber, then just go to thetimes.co.uk and you can sign up for a special £1 offer. You'll also then be entitled to our daily morning and lunchtime business emails. If you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Robert Lee and Deirdre Hipwell here in London and to James Dean in New York. They are all on Twitter and so am I actually for that matter. So please do follow us and uh, thanks for listening. Please join us again next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.